Welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. We want to wish you guys an early Merry Christmas as this is coming out on Thursday. We're only a few days away from uh, the most wonderful time of the year when we uh, uh, celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. You all ready? You got all your shopping done? You ready, ready for action? Shopping for grocery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, <laughs> because the, supposedly a blizzard's coming. So <laughs> my wife is like, normally I shop on Thursday. I'm like, not this week. <laughs> Yes, and, and as you're watching this, we have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. You know, I, I, get, I crack up at all the different models that are out there. Uh, we are, we're getting anywhere from one inch to 600 inches of snow uh, with wind or possibly no wind, rain, possibly no rain. It's a tornado storm. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but I, I just got to be honest. Maybe yeah. Pastor Dick has influenced me with his, his love for the white Christmas. But I'm ex- I'm kind of excited. I could go for a blizzard. We haven't had a blizzard in. Do you have a snowblower? <laughs> yeah, I have that's four, probably. That's I have probably, four sons. <laughs> well, that's the difference. That's why you guys are cheering for snow. No, I am this. I am the snow shoveler. So I'm like praying against any blizzards. I am our snowblower, okay. but I do have a few other potential candidates that I could put some shovels in their hand. But think about you know, we, especially with our our network of churches. A lot of them are in the south. They're always like, man, we hear you guys get so much snow and. Honestly, we have not had much snow. I feel a little bit gypped in the last, I'd say, the last six years. I call it a blessing. He calls it a gyp. So it's different perspective. Uh, hey, but this is my philosophy. If it's if it's going to be cold, mm-hmm. it might as well be white. Sure. Until it gets gray and then brown. <laughs> global warming. Global. Anyways. We, we have a different branches. We have a different schism in Livingstone Church between the pro-snow and the anti-snow. And Pastor Aaron and I are firmly in the anti-snow camp. And you got Pastor Ron Pastor Dick in the pro-snow camp. Oh, so yeah, we'll battle gotta, out. You gotta lean One day it. we'll go into the Lord and we'll say, hey, God. You remember, I'm having, I'm having a moment. When, when Pastor Andrew came up here uh, to from, from Virginia, remember that? Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, it was novelty for like three months, and then I'm done with this. <laughs> well, well, what I love is you were not like in town for 24 hours, yeah, and I had you in the car with me. Remember that? Yeah. We pulled into Crown Point High School to pick up one of my yeah. kids, and it was like this swirling. Yeah, because the cul-de-sac. Cul-de-sac, the, the swirling yeah, yeah. tornado yeah. Of, of snow no, and blizzard. beautiful. And you remember yeah. what you did? Yeah, I took pictures. <laughs> yeah, he got out of his car. He got out of my car and pulled out his cell phone. And he just started going like this. I mean, the wind's blowing, snow's hitting. Remember that? It yeah. was like, and I was just cracking up. I'm like, what? You guys don't have snow in Not Virginia? Not like that. Not like that. No. <laughs> we shut down for a long time after something like that happens. Well, so. hey, uh, today's topic is going to seem strange <laughs> given that we're ramping up to Christmas, but it's really not. I think it fits in perfectly. And I think it's providential. As you guys know, if you've been watching this podcast, We've been working through a great book, Rod Dreher's book, Live Not By Lies. And providentially, the chapter, the final chapter that we're going to focus really the next two podcasts on is called The Gift of Suffering. And and what a strange title. You know, we're talking about gift giving, yeah. uh, the holidays and everything. And I don't know of anybody that would have suffering wrapped up in the present under their tree. It's a paradox, right? Yeah. It seems like they're contradictory things, gift and suffering. But if you look at the deeper meanings of it, you realize, man, there's some profound truth found in that. Yeah. And uh, and I'd like to go to Scripture right right from the get-go here, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 6 through 8. I think it fits in exactly to, to this week and what we're talking about. I also realize I'm wearing a really interesting pair of glasses uh, that uh, my magnify. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to hold these up here because these were the only ones I could find. But anyway, so much for fashion. Um 
It says, who being in the very nature of God, speaking of Jesus, did not consider equality with God to be something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. You know, when we teach the class uh, in our Roar School on uh, Christology, uh, one of the eye-opening things for me uh, in preparing, you know, to teach that class was realizing that the suffering of Christ did not begin on the cross. In fact, I would argue that his greatest suffering was not the cross, that his greatest suffering was his incarnation, mm -hmm. his birth. If you could imagine God Almighty, who is limitless, infinite, all-powerful, uh, holy, pure, without blemish, taking on one of these bodies of ours and living yeah. in this broken, fallen world, I can't imagine the limitless one taking on a finite, you know, a finite body willingly. Mm -hmm. um, that We're just used to it. That's what we have to live with. But imagine God Almighty um, taking on human flesh, you know, the Word becoming flesh dwelling among us. That is a definition of suffering, uh, limitation, um, uh, condescension, humility, uh, going low. And the fact that Jesus would wear his, his body, our body, uh, forever is, is an incredible, incredible uh, truth that we need to drink deeply and celebrate. So when we think of Christmas, we don't often think of the gift of suffering or think of Jesus' suffering, but the way he came into the world, you know, born in a manger, uh, the attacks on his life from day one, um, all that he went through, uh, this part of this broken, fallen world for us, Jesus clearly uh, models for us that suffering can be embraced and suffering is a gift. In fact, his suffering led to the greatest gift for us, right. and that's our salvation. Right. And so when we get into this final chapter, what what some of the uh, interviewees, when they're talking about these former uh, Eastern Bloc communist you know, dissidents, they're saying that when they look at their children now, so, you know, the generation that came after communism, you'd think that that generation would be, like, ardently, you know, opposed to uh, communism, willing to suffer anything, you know, stand up for truth, stand up for Christ. And what they say in the book is that um, they're actually a generation that views success as the, as the ability to escape any form of discomfort uh, any form of suffering. Suffering is viewed as an enemy. Some, suffering is viewed as something you try to avoid at all costs. Yep. And yet their parents found that suffering was a gift. Their parents found that there were things that were worth suffering for. Yeah. And yet this generation is trying to find anything that would be worth it. Discomfort. We're not even right. talking about suffering, but we're just talking about discomfort. Right. What a paradox. Uh, and I just found it interesting that... The earlier generation says suffering is a normal part of life, even the good life. You know, let's just pause right there. In other words, we live in a world that's broken, right? We live in a world full of limitations. And uh, and think about even our our fathering, you know, uh, we're married, we have children. You know, you have kids that get sick, you have, you lose sleep, You your body, you know. I'm, I, I'm a few uh, generations ahead of you or decades ahead of you, but, um, you know, your body starts to break down. Uh, you experience some discomfort. You can't see as good as you used to see. Uh, you start feeling aches and pains. In other words, <clears throat> suffering is, is built into the, the life, this side of eternity. And yet for many people, we spend our entire life trying to avoid 
any discomfort at all costs. And when suffering actually comes, we view it like, God, where are you and why is this happening to me? Right. When, especially if you've gone through a totalitarian regime where suffering, intense suffering, was a part of your everyday existence, you have a, you have a different view on life. Yeah, and, and you're obviously talking about the book uh, Live Not By Lies by Ron right. Dre, for those who are joining us for the first time. And just <clears> even <throat> as he interviews these uh, survivors from communism, Eastern Bloc of these uh, Eastern European nations, and and these you know these heroes basically of of liber- liberation of freedom who's gone through these regimes and survived some of them through torture and prison and separation from families, and, right. and they're they're telling us in one generation you can lose it all because of this idea of suffering, the gift of losing this idea that life is about. There's a degree of life that is about going through suffering. I, I, I think our theology on suffering needs probably some tinkering, some, some, um, some nuanced thought on it, because there's a degree in our hearts that longs for heaven. Every single one of us longs yeah. for heaven, and heaven is a place no more tears, no more pain. Right. But on earth, we have to go through suffering uh, because that's part of life. It's a gift. I mean, I think about as something as simple as you know what. Uh, I have to deny myself. I have to deny this chocolate cake because I want to go to bed tonight and not have a stomach ache. So you, de- you 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 have a temporary denial of yourself for greater pleasure, for greater peace. I have to deny the pain of working out so I can stay in basic shape, right? We all understand those basic principles. But from a freedom level, from a comfort, from a convenience level, I think our generation... Yeah. is really struggling with that. And that's what leads to a lot of this very to, uh, entitlement um, generation that we have in which every ounce of inconvenience we see as bad. We're trying to eliminate all right. inconvenience at, at all costs. Even if you lose your freedom, you lose your speech, you lose your whatever, your God-given rights, but you're like, no, well, I'm going to give that up because I need to be comfortable. Yep. Right? And I think that's the parallel we're trying to make. We're, you know, None of us are assuming that Christians in America are going through that type of suffering. We're not in a totalitarian nation. That's not the point. The point is we're seeing parallels, and I think that's the point of Dreyer's book. There's parallels between previous generations and the compromises and the attitudes and the resulting tyranny that happened, and we're certainly seeing signs of that in American culture. In fact, he he brings up a really great study here. This is a 2019 NBC News Wall Street Journal poll. Uh, that found a distinct minority of young American adults believe that religion, patriotism, and having children are an important part of life, while nearly four out of five said that self-fulfillment is the key to a good life. He says, similarly, sociologists of religion, Christian Smith, found in his study that uh, most of them believe society is nothing more than, quote, a collection of autonomous individuals out to enjoy life. Yeah. So that's kind of disturbing. You know, when you think, uh, what would be the reasons that, that one would suffer? Well, you would suffer for Christ and for the gospel. You would suffer for your country, right? Patriotism. And you'd be willing to lay your life down for, for your for family. And your for family. your family, yeah. And now, basically, uh, this uh, most recent generation, four out of five people said self-fulfillment is the key to good life. So most people are going through life right now trying to avoid any kind of pain or discomfort. Success is being happy. And notice it's to a collection of autonomous individuals. So we're no longer finding meaning or fulfillment in being connected. 
uh, were more disconnected than ever. And really, it's like disconnected atoms floating around, uh, all trying to find maximum pleasure, which is, again, defined as physical or sexual or carnal pleasure. Yeah, so because we lose the deeper meaning of suffering, because the purpose of the suffering is to greater joy. I mean, Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lay down your life, you know, yeah. if you uh, if you embrace the cross, then you're going to truly enjoy life. So there is a degree of suffering that we have to embrace yeah. for us to truly enjoy life. And and when you when your like religion or your worldview is deny all comfort, I mean, all, deny all discomfort, just deny all sense of suffering, then you are going to find yourself in the deepest darkest hole. Yeah. That's why we have these mental health issues. We have <clears throat> depression issues. Uh, it's, it's amazing how depressed and how unhappy we are when we have basically a religious perspective to find maximal freedom and happiness, but we're getting the opposite effect. Exactly. Right? Exactly. When you're when you're avoiding pain and discomfort to pursue happiness, you, it's actually creating more unhappiness right. because I think because it's just it's impossible to do that. Yeah. You know, he said that we have a whole generation who define the good life as a life free from suffering, and his point was that. We are, uh, in America, we are totally set up to embrace the pink state, which is his terminology for soft totalitarianism. We're not going to have government agents uh, pointing guns at us and forcing us to comply or throwing us in jail or killing us, at least not yet. Um, But it's the discomfort things. We're willing to put up with a lack or a loss of our religious liberties and our our, uh, uh, freedoms, God-given freedoms, if the result gives us momentary comfort right. or success. And you right. brought up a good point. Maybe we can j- jump into here right now. Um, Jesus said in 2 Timothy, or Paul said 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And um, and yet we have been taught in many cases what they call in the book a Christianity without tears. So let's talk about this a little bit um, as it relates to uh, the church in America and a theology of a Christianity without tears. You know, we're we're a what we would call a uh, a non-denominational, charismatic, full gospel, uh, victorious kingdom church. I mean, I'm thinking all the adjectives that would be yeah. used there. And I I think back, you know, there was a time, uh, at least when my mom and dad, you know, the whole birth of the charismatic movement, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the belief that the gifts and the power of God are for today, the Holy Spirit for today. Um, it was a church that was very anemic. It was a church that was very faithless. It was a church that almost, uh, to an extreme, um, glorified uh, suffering. Now, it wasn't suffering for the sake of the gospel necessarily. It was just glorification of weakness. If you're sick, you just say, oh, it's God's will that I'm sick, and I'm just going to embrace it, and the Lord's going to be glorified. Uh, poverty I, mentality. Yeah, poverty mentality. Um, no exercise of faith at all. Just kind of this belief that, you know, uh, the more miserable you are, if you just in, endure it, that somehow Jesus is honored. And so, what came along is is, uh, is a fresh burst in the body of Christ that said, "Wait a minute, what all? What about all the promises of God? You know, what about uh, the the passages talk about Him?" Him uh, healing us from our diseases. What about the book of Acts? What about the power of the Holy Spirit? 
What about, you know, the passages where God supernaturally moved and delivered them from prison, you know, uh, healed bodies, cast out devils, you know, the, the full message of the kingdom, right? the power of the gospel. You are not seeing the power of the gospel in the church. And so it was a much needed corrective to say, wait a minute. We don't have to sit back here and be fatalistic and just say, okay, sarah, sarah, you know, whatever will be, will be. And we certainly don't need to glorify illness and glorify demonic oppression and glorify all these uh, signs of of, uh, Satan's kingdom, not God's kingdom. But I think what happened is the pendulum swung to where the churches that were faith churches, it was almost an embarrassment Mm -hmm. to admit that you got sick, mm-hmm. or an embarrassment to suggest that someone was suffering for the gospel and that and that they didn't have enough faith to be delivered. Yeah. Um, and so, isn't it interesting how the devil pushes truth from one extreme to the other? And somehow, you know, I think what we need to recapture, at least in the American church today, especially for well, for every generation, but especially for the for the the generation of young people we're facing now, is recover a theology of suffering. Uh, that there are times when godly people, f- for the sake of righteousness, endure great suffering, and that we should celebrate these people, not right. condemn them for a lack of, lack faith. of faith. Right. I mean, I know people who are sick, and they pray, and they fasted, and they weren't healed, and they're embarrassed, and they're like, oh, there must be something. They almost don't want to tell people about it. Or something's the matter with me. I'm something. deficient. Right. I, I have a lack of faith. And, and sometimes they might be, but other times they're not. Yeah. I mean, even Paul himself. Ask the Lord to take the thorn his side away. And the Lord said, no, because in your weakness, my strength is revealed. So, I mean, there is so many nuance to all of this in terms of, I mean, how many times young people, because of this faith movement, and they see people not getting healed, seeing people die of sickness, and they're just like, oh, wait a second. Because they don't, they're not equipped with theology of suffering, they're like, well, my faith must not be good. They either condemn themselves or they turn against God and say, oh, God's not faithful. Right. Versus understanding there's a third path that Jesus suffered, <laughs> Jesus died, Paul suffered, all the apostles were martyred. You know, right. and and there's a degree of suffering found in our faith, well, and that's not that's godly. And I, and I, I love the faith chapter, right? Hebrews chapter eleven. We yep. call it the faith chapter, yep. and I love it because half of the examples that are given are are examples of where through faith we overcame whatever yep. the situation was. And then it ends by reminding us that there's a whole bunch of other people yep. who who receive their reward on the other side. Yeah. And, and that's, the, that's the tension between the already and the not yet. <clears throat> the, the already promises of God that are here, the kingdom is now, but the kingdom is, the fullness of the kingdom is to come. Right. And I think we have to do a better job of uh, encouraging people that there are things worth fighting for, there are things worth suffering for. And I thought that was interesting. Um, when he talks about suffering as a testimony of truth, he actually asks um, young people this question. What are three Christian values that are worth suffering for, that you would personally suffer for? And I think that's a great place to pause, you know. What, what you know, for instance, would you, would you be willing to suffer for the truth? Like, okay, just compromise the truth or lie or st- state something that you don't believe to be true. And if you go along, uh, then we won't take your kids away or we won't put you in prison. Um, <clears throat> those are real-life decisions that Christians were facing because there was consequences on the other end. I started thinking about that. What what are three Christian values that I would be willing, you know, to suffer for? Now, I, I love the truth, and I, that's a big one for me, 
I'm not going to compromise my beliefs. In fact, a lot of these these pastors were thrown in prison and tortured and and murdered uh, because they stood for religious liberty. Well, obviously, that's that's something that's a passion area for me, so I can relate to to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what are the other other values you know that we would embrace so strongly that we would refuse to compromise, even if it meant you know personal hardship or suffering? That's that's a that's a probing probing question. Uh, they would probably be good to spend some time, you know, thinking about, um, because they brought up a good point. You, you can you can say you believe something, you can say you're a follower, but until you're tested at that very point, you don't really know, you know, what you stand for. Uh, you'd like to say you're a believer, but those beliefs are not really real uh, until they're tested. Well, I, I think I think that's the whole point of. Distinction, even even in the marketplace, when people say, "Well, this is our mission, this is our value," none of that is real to me. When people tell me that, until you tell me how you have sacrificed for, yeah, it's easy to always say, "Like our value is integrity, our value is excellence." Yeah. Well, tell me a story in which you have to sacrifice. You lost profit. You right. lost a good employee. Right. Be- or or is not really real to you. Tell me that story that you had to face a, a different confrontation, difficult discussion. Or else it's not really real because the value, I mean, I, I think about, um, you know, even when you get married, like the whole idea of the engagement ring, okay? Yep. And I'm not trying to glorify diamonds or whatever, but, but there, is a, <laughs> there is a point of saying, here, there's a, there is a monetary value sacrifice that goes into this covenant relationship that gives it, that kind of reflects the seriousness of it. I mean, it's a covenant, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I think, again... What does our faith require these days? I mean, our faith almost requires nothing. Maybe you sacrifice a Sunday morning sacrifice yeah. and go to church. Yep. But outside of that, there is almost no requirement of you. Yeah. So we don't really well, know who, who, who really... We, we were treading, treading some uh, touchy areas uh, a while back when we were talking about um, you know being created in the image and likeness of God, talking about gender, talking about sexual ethics, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I know I was pushing the envelope, but, um, but the point was this. If we're, if we're not willing to stand up for biblical truth as it relates to gender, for instance, and pr- all this pronoun push, and also say, you know what, we're not playing that game. There, there's men and there's women, and, and you're created by God, period. Just that stance would cause some of our people their jobs because sure. they work in they work yeah. in a very woke corporate culture, and, and they have you know the diversity police and they're checking out your Facebook posts and all this kind of stuff. So, so my point is this: if you're willing to to sell out to that movement for the sake of your job or a paycheck, I, you know I'm like, where do we draw the line? Because you're just being quiet so that you're keeping peace. Where do you draw the line? Because right now it might cost you that job, but you still have other opportunities, and you have to trust the Lord, right? And I would I would say stand up because if you don't fight in the corporate arena at that level, what's coming behind it, and what's at stake for your kids? So we're saying stand up. Yeah, you might be you might be uh, ostracized, you might be made fun of, marginalized, fired, or you know kept from being getting the promotion or whatever. But th- that's pretty minor compared to being thrown in prison and tortured every day or, or, or shot or some of these other things. In other words, we say we believe in the Bible and we say we believe in Christ, but when it comes to these real-life decisions that we're making today or, or a young person in school 
uh, when you're confronted with raising your hand and saying, you know what, I don't believe that, you know, well, what does that mean? Well, it means you might go to the principal's office. It means, you know, you might have to have a, See, a meeting with your parents. Anyway, my point is yeah. there's lines that, yeah. that, that you have to stand up for now if you say that you really follow Christ and you believe what he said. And, and I, I would even go further and make it even more practical. I think the, the reason people aren't standing up for these culture issues that's kind of more obvious is because they're not standing up for biblical issue in their personal life. There's not you, you can't you can't run the marathon if you can't complete a 5K. Right. And and I think what's happening because of a culture of no real cost as a Christian, people aren't even like sacrificing uh, sleep to get up and spend time with the Lord right. because they value that this is the Word of God. I mean, I'm, I'm getting really real here. Yeah, like now, this, you're, now you're, now you're, yeah, you're not even sacrificing and say, hey, you know what? I need to really love my wife despite that I want to go blah, blah, blah. I got my selfish, I got whatever. I got it, but, the, the, but this is a sacred covenant, and I, I, I need a sacrifice for that. I mean, those, those discussions aren't even happening on a practical level. That's why people aren't standing for these other values because that's so foreign to them. If they aren't even The people who are standing up in the, in, in the public realm, they have the courage to. It's not even weird for them to do that because they have already established a true sacrifice, sacrificial dying to bearing your cross life in their personal lives. So they, when, when, when those public arena comes, public issue comes, like, I mean, think about Daniel, man. Like, he, he, his own personal, he was, before he had to bow before the, the uh, he had to not bow before the, the, idol. the idol or, or Nebuchadnezzar, not Nebuchadnezzar, uh, per, uh, the, what, uh, Perse, uh, Perseus, Perse, Perse, whatever the, the Persian king, he was saying, "Hey, I won't eat food. I have to sacrifice the idol." He was doing on the smaller level. Well, and he and he got busted for his uh, his prayer his prayer life uh, where he right went. the lion's right. den right. I forgot what the king's name. Yep. But before that happened, he had to deal with this, the, the the personal level on a smaller scale. But God was watching that. Yeah. And, and I, no, that's good. There's, so there's, there's little minor battles that are in our personal and private life at home, uh, in our own walk with God. That, that lay the track That's for, for a, bold, a bold public stand. It's considered suffering on the smaller level, and, and, and when we don't have that, we can't even win the battles against our personal selfish, you know, needs. How are we going to stand up against, you know, the culture wars issue? So Yeah, Rod Dreher says, if we cannot endure, endure minor persecutions now, what makes us think we would be able to endure Absolutely. serious persecution in the future? So you're exactly right. That's, I think, the point I'm trying to make. You know, we, we have to stand up, you know, to your point, privately, personally. But then we also need to stand up publicly in our places of work. As we said in this last series, we preach bringing Jesus to work. Um, we need to be bold witnesses for Christ. And why is that important? I, I like what they said. Suffering for Christ reveals that this world is a lie. The, the one priest that was taken uh, because of his, you know, basically he was arguing for, for religious liberty, and, and religious liberty is an argument that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, we have the right to worship Christ in the public arena and to bring our faith publicly. And he was, he was taken away uh, by the Soviets, and while they were taking him away, he was, he was smiling and laughing. Um, his laughter was a demonstration that all their shenanigans was basically a lie, yeah. that Jesus Christ was Lord, um, and that he was not putting up with their myth. Now, everybody else wants to be quiet, avoid pain, and go along with the lie. But their point is, when you 
are willing to die for truth, you expose that, that the communist ideology is a lie. On the other hand, they said, if you're not willing <clears throat> to stand up for truth, <clears throat> maybe what you believe is just an ideology. And I, and I crack up because, you know, we, one ideology that's very powerful today, uh, a powerful cultural myth, is climate change, global warming, man-made global warming. And the reason I know it's an ideology, <clears throat> excuse me, is that everybody that espouses it to be true doesn't practice the the logical outcome of it. In other words, they're still driving cars, they're still flying airplanes, they're still they still have a too big carbon footprint, and they probably still have children. So so the point is, if you believe in all that, then live it. it but the problem is nobody's really living it, which shows it's just an ideology. Yeah. It's the same thing with our faith. If we're not willing. If we're not willing to stand up at even in the face of discomfort for what we say we believe, we might not really believe it. We might just simply be embracing another idea. And I think that's a, that's something we need to consider. If you are lacking courage, because I think some of this talk, like we talk about these priests going to prison, it's for us, it's, it's hard for us to connect in America today. Right. And, and a lot of us like, I don't really know if I have that courage, or in the middle of that, will I make that change? I think if you struggle with those uh, wondering if you have courage. I don't think you start there. I think you start with your personal life. I think you start with the smaller issues of saying, hey, do I truly believe this is the word of God? Do I, if I really believe this is the word of God, why don't I read it? Why don't I study it? Do I really believe God hears my prayer? Right. I think we, I think fundamentally we, as, 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 a, as a Christian culture, we have lost those fundamental suffering. I don't even call them suffering, but just spiritual exercises. But it's, it's a small S suffering. And once those are established, I mean, I think these these martyrs were chosen because their their personal lives have been so honorable before God, and God gave them the privilege. That's really their perspective to suffer for the gospel. Yeah, and that, and that again is biblical, right? Christ tells us that the, the the present sufferings are nothing to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed, yeah. and that uh, there's joy. You know, count it all joy when you suffer on account of the gospel, because you're, you're identifying with Christ. It truly, right? is a gift. Yes, and we're gonna get, you know we're gonna get into that um, in our next podcast. Um, but again, I love this idea that whatever we're willing to suffer for really makes that belief truly authentic. Uh, it, it demonstrates to the world that we are serious, that there are certain things worth dying for, uh, and that there are certain truths. That, you know, Paul said the steadfast love of the Lord is, is greater than, I mean, the, the psalmist said that it's greater than life itself. Uh, in other words, loving Jesus is greater than, than life itself. There are there have to be things patriotism. Why would somebody be willing to lay down their life for their country? Because they believe in the ideals that that their country stands for, and they're willing to lay down their life to protect those ideals. Yeah. In a world full of pleasure, self-seeking, materialism, uh, live now. This is the only life that we have. You only go yeah, around it's just once. a job. Uh, just then a why job. would anybody yeah. die for anything? Right. And it really find makes, a different job. <laughs> yeah, it really makes a different life job that gives me more pleasure. Very shallow. Yeah. Um, I thought it would be good to end our podcast today with, with a great, great uh, piece of literature here from Max Lucado. Uh, and Max says this, talking about, talking about the incarnation. When God entered time and became a man, he who was boundless became bound, imprisoned in flesh, restricted by weary-prone muscles and eyelids. For more than three decades, his once limitless reach would be limited to the stretch of an arm. His speed checked to the pace of human feet. I wonder, was he ever tempted to regain his boundlessness 
in the middle of a long trip did he ever consider transporting himself to the next city? He did that on the boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, he did. He did. Uh, yeah. Anyways. But anyway, mm -hmm. interesting. Um, when the rain chilled his bones, was he tempted to change the weather? When the heat parched his lips, did he give thought to popping over to the Caribbean for some refreshment? <laughs> If he ever entertained such thoughts, he never gave in to them. Not once, stop and think about this, not once did Christ use his supernatural powers for personal comfort. With one word, he could have transformed the hard earth into a soft bed, but he didn't. With a wave of his hands, he could have boomeranged the spit of his accusers back into their faces, but he didn't. With an arch of his brow, he could have paralyzed the hand of the soldier as he braided the crown of thorns, but he didn't. He chose the nails. And um, I think it's just a good reminder that what we're celebrating on Sunday, I want to encourage everybody to come on out. We're going to be having three services on Sunday. As always, it's going to be a great reminder of the gift of suffering because uh, Jesus Christ gave his life uh, for us. And, of course, that led to the cross where he shed his blood for us and redeemed the people for himself. And that's really what we celebrate is not just the gift uh, in the manger, but uh, that, that that gift led all the way to the cross uh, where he lived and died and suffered for us. And so that's the, that's the meaning of the season. Jesus is the reason for the season. And I think Lucado's point is well taken. Never once did he use his power for his own personal comfort. He always used the power of God to be a blessing to other people. And, um, you know, Sunday we paused to pray for people who are going through a really rough time, some of who even this week have lost loved ones um, or this year. Maybe this is the first Christmas without a dad or mom or grandma or grandpa or a child. These, are, these can be painful times, and this is legitimate suffering that we go through this side of eternity. So it's a good time for us to, to use the power of the gospel to go alleviate other people's pain and suffering, to love, to serve, to bless, to take gifts, to bring food, to give a hug, to give the gift of your presence, whatever it is, uh, this season is a reminder that there are things that are more important than life itself. Uh, and it's a beautiful, beautiful time of the, of the year. So we want to encourage you, um, embrace the hardship, turn your pain to the Lord, keep looking to Him, remind yourself that we're, we're not home yet. Uh, but in the midst of all of this going on, we thank God for the body of Christ, thank God for relationships, thank God for Jesus. Uh, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us during these times. So have a, an amazing celebration. We, we pray that the uh, blizzard that's expected is, uh, is not too overwhelming, but I hope if, mm -hmm. you're going to see me running around in the parking lot. Yeah. Uh, uh, Doing donuts. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, let's Backyard. make the most of it. Lean into it. Uh, we just started winter. That's the good news. And, uh, and June is a long way away. So just embrace it. All right. Uh, embrace the suffering. That's the message. But anyway, until we uh, see you next week, have a very Merry Christmas.